Well, I greet you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be with you on this Wednesday evening. <clears throat> now that you all are stretched out, you guys are all ready to go. Um, I want to remind you that this series of discipleship will do no good for you unless you take what we are saying and you run with it. That you, you take the messages on discipleship and you actually implement them in your Christian life. Um, the reason why we are, are giving you guys this series is because we think that, for one, the Bible commands it, but for two, it will be beneficial for your spiritual growth. So don't just take this series, don't just take these lessons and do nothing with them, but actually consider what we are saying. And, and hopefully you are already making disciples or you are in the process of being discipled. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here by your grace. Holy Spirit, may you give us eyes to see, hearts to believe your word. Help us understand what it means to make disciples. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The title of this, of this lesson is The Aim of Discipleship. So if you're taking notes, you can title it The Aim of Discipleship. The Aim of Discipleship. And, and um, this is the book that we have been getting somewhat information from, uh, but we've been getting more so a direction of where we should go um, and how we should tackle each uh, lesson. But it's called Discipling by Mark Dever. Um, when I am done with it, uh, I'll give it to whoever wants to read it. But you have to, you only can take two months to read it. Then you got to give it back. It should only take you like a month, if that, Okay. So if you want to, if you want this book, then talk to me. I'll give it to you in about two weeks <clears throat> or a week. So what is the aim of discipleship? So far in our series of discipleship, we have learned the biblical basis of discipleship. That discipleship is not something that we have thought of, but it's something that is grounded and rooted in Scripture. Every Christian is commanded to be a discipler. If you are a disciple of Christ, then you must disciple others. You must pass on the word of God. What, what, you must pass on what you have and what you are learning. We've learned where we should start discipling is first in our own home. That is the first place. That is the, the breeding ground of where we should start discipling. The believing parents are to begin evangelizing and teaching their children, teaching their children the things of God and raising them up in the ways of the Lord. And through the teaching and evangelizing your children by God's grace, they will be saved. I, I, I'm always encouraged when pastor tells me stories about how young Nazareth is, is learning the faith and, and how he can answer questions that I don't even have answers to, you know. And, and what he's doing is he's starting his son at an early age to know and to love the things of God. So when he gets of age, then, then by God's grace, um, he will be saved, and we're praying for that. We're praying for all of your children to be saved as well. 
But we start in our own home, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop in our own home, but that what we do in our home should transition over to the local church. So when we decide we are to we are called to teach, um, evangelize and disciple our children, but then we should move that over into the local church. Because other than our immediate family and co-workers, who do we see often? We see the members of our local church. So each member has a duty and a responsibility to disciple one another. Church members are to disciple one another. The same people whom we share the Lord's table with are the same people whom we are to share life with. We should have in the local congregation, in our local church, a disciple-making culture and atmosphere where everyone is teaching one another the things of God and modeling how to live out the word of God. And that's what we've learned last week in our session on discipleship. Who we disciple isn't our best friend or who, who primarily we invest the most of our time in, in discipleship isn't our best friend who, who happens to go to First Presbyterian Church of Bakersfield or uh, we should, we, our primary um, time of investment shouldn't be for our co-workers who go to, you know, an Anglican church or whatever who we have good relationships with, the people who we should invest the most of our time with, who we should disciple, are the people, are the members of our local church. That's who we should, that's the primary focus of our discipleship. Who we should disciple is the person that's sitting next to you, that's sitting behind you, that's sitting in front of you. And if you want to know more about that, then listen to last week's sermon. But that is what we have learned so far in our series Now, this week, we want to dive a little bit deeper in our study of discipleship and answer one simple question. What is the aim of discipleship? What is the aim of discipleship? Let's say that you have created a relationship with a fellow church member of your local congregation, and you're wanting to begin to disciple that particular person. So you've hit it off with some with someone like, uh, for instance, me and John. I've hit it off with John. Uh, we have a great relationship. I see there's a, a need there for him to be discipled. I'm the one that wants to disciple him. What do I do next? How do I go about that? And what should be my aim in discipling him? What is the goal of of the of me discipling him? What should be my end goal? Of course, the large goal of discipling is helping him or her follow Jesus Christ. We all know that. That's, that's the large goal of it all, right? But how do you do that? How do you help others follow Jesus Christ? How are you going to help Brother Bob or Sister Susie follow Christ? And the answer to that question will answer the title of this lesson. What is the aim of discipleship? So I have two points for you this evening. The first point of how we are to disciple, of what is the aim of discipleship, the first point is teach the word. Teach the word. And the second point is model the word. So the first point of what is the, what the aim of discipleship should be, how we are to disciple, is first teach the word, and then second, model the word. So let's look at the first point, teach the word, teach the word. Since we know that discipling is doing spiritual good to someone, 
we need to ask, what does it mean to do spiritual good to someone? Now, there are many answers to that question. Um, praying for someone is doing spiritual good to them. Asking them about their spiritual lives and investing in their spiritual lives is doing spiritual good to them. Suggesting different sermons to listen to or books to read is doing spiritual good to them. But those things by themselves, stand alone, isn't really discipling. Yes, it's a form of discipleship, but that's not we are what that's not what we are called to do in our relationship. When we and if we think that all we are called to do in our relationship is to just be that prayer partner or be that person whom uh, people call when they want a good sermon on sin or whatever, then you're missing the bigger picture of what it means to do spiritual good to someone, or rather, what it means to disciple someone. When you begin to disciple someone, the basis of your relationship may start off with you being that person whom is called upon when they need prayer. Or you may start off your relationship with both of you having similar interests. Maybe you like the same movies or the same sports team. But even though that those things are fine in and, of in and of themselves, the basis of your relationship shouldn't be primarily you being a prayer partner or you being that person who suggests good books and sermons. If you and the person whom you are discipling or being discipled by only have a relationship that consists of praying for one another or sending each other sermons or talking about your favorite sports teams, then you're missing what it means to disciple someone. You're missing what it means to ultimately do spiritual good to someone. Those things are good. However, they are not what we are primarily called to do. I'm not saying those things are bad. But if those things are not accompanied by what we we're going to talk about here, teaching the word, then there's a problem. There's a problem. The highest spiritual good we can do for someone is to teach them the word of God. That is the highest spiritual good that we can do for someone, or at least one of the highest spiritual goods. When we make disciples, we should desire to help people want to understand more about God's word. Friends, you should want, you should want people to grow in the knowledge of God. And the means that God has used to reveal himself, other than general revelation, is special revelation. His word, the Bible. The roots of our relationship, when you are discipling, should be the word of God. Not that person whom you call when you need prayer, which is fine. But the foundation should be the word of God, because all of those things, prayer and sending sermons, all those things flow out of the word of God. I say all that to say this. When we disciple, the first aim of our disciple making is teaching people how to understand God's word. When we disciple, the first aim of our disciple making is teaching people how to understand God's word. So let's ask, how did Jesus and Paul disciple? I'm claiming that the primary aim of discipleship is teaching God's word, but is it biblical? And indeed it is. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we know as the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, 
verses 18 and 20 says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And here, and here, and listen to the words of Christ here. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Praise God for that last part. Here we have in Matthew 28, the last words of Christ before his ascension to heaven. And here he gives the command to his disciples to make disciples of all nations. First by baptism. Now, why would Christ first say baptism? Because baptism is a public sign that the believer has been united to Christ by faith. In other words, it's a, it's your faith going public. You are publicly demonstrating that you are no longer on the world's team, but you are on Christ's team. You are putting on Christ's jersey. You, it's, it's symbolic. You are, uh, it's showing the, that you have been united to Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. But what else does Christ, how else does Christ instruct his disciples on how to make disciples? First, by baptism, and second, listen to this, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, when Christ says that, he doesn't primarily mean to teach others only the law. He doesn't primarily mean to teach others only his parables and to try to make sense of them and to explain them. But what Christ is saying is to teach others everything that I have taught you. Every lesson that you have received from me, teach and pass on to others. Everything from the law, everything from the parables, everything from how the Old Testament pointed to him. What Christ has in mind here is the way we disciple is by teaching and helping people understand everything he has said in his word. Christ places the teaching of his word as the primary aim of discipleship. How we make disciples? By teaching others what Christ has said. All that Christ has commanded. And how do we know? Where do we get, um, where, where do we get all, the, all the data where Christ has commanded? All, all the instructions from Christ? Well, we get it from his word. So we teach others the word of God. Christ desires us to know his word and to teach others all that he has commanded. And that is one of the primary roles of Christ's relationship with his disciples. He taught his disciples how to interpret the scriptures. He taught his disciples what Old Testament passages meant. He taught his disciples who the scriptures pointed to. And here in Matthew 28, Christ exhorts his disciples to make disciples, how? By first baptism and teaching the word of God. Teach the word of God. We see this example also in the relationship between Paul and his disciple Timothy. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.13, follow the pattern, listen to this, follow the pattern of sound words, and hear this, that you heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. When Paul says follow the pattern of sound words, what he means is the wholesome teaching of Scripture. Paul is not pointing to a particular text of Scripture, but he's pointing to all of Scripture. Hold fast to the Word of God. And notice what Paul says next. 
follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. One of Paul's primary roles in discipling Timothy was to teach Timothy the scripture, was to teach Timothy the word of God. Here what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You, therefore, my child, be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say among many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be qualified to teach others as well. So here Paul tells Timothy to be strong in the faith. But how, how does he instruct Timothy to be strong in the faith? How is Timothy to be strong in the faith? By holding fast to the things he has learned from Paul. That's how one is strong in the faith. What is to strengthen Timothy is the word of God. And Paul tells Timothy to pass those things that you have learned from me to others as well. Verse 2 says, Entrust these to faithful men who will be qualified to teach others as well. Friends, what strengthens us as believers is not how clever you can put words together to soothe your soul, but what strengthens us, what strengthens us is God's word. For example, let's say when you are discipling and the person whom you're discipling is really going through a tough time, maybe with sin or they don't feel loved by God or maybe the weight of the world is on their shoulders. The best truth that you can give them is not our own human encouragement, but the promises God makes to his children in his word. That's how we are strengthened. Not by what we can cleverly come up with, but what God says in his word. That's what strengthened us, the truth of God and what he has said in his word. Last scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Or second, yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 and 17, but... Once again, Paul instructing Timothy, and listen to here, listen to this, but as for you, listen to this, continue in the things you have learned and firmly believed, since you know from whom you learned them. Again, verse 14, continue in the things you have learned and firmly believed. Paul reminds Timothy to keep studying the things he was taught. So we see a pattern of the primacy of the word of God in discipleship. Do you all see that? We see the pattern of the primacy of the word of God in discipleship. Christ taught the word to his disciples. He commanded them to pass on what they have learned. Paul taught his disciple Timothy and exhorted Timothy to pass on what he was taught. The word of God should be central in any discipleship relationship. If we want to teach others how to pray and how to live for Christ and how to carry our cross daily and deny ourselves, you know, all the practical things of Christianity, then you must first teach the word of God. You can't tell somebody to pray if they don't know how to pray. You can't tell somebody the primacy of, 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 of sin killing and how we are to mortify our flesh daily if it's not grounded in Scripture. And all of that is. Now you might ask, where do I start? Which book of the Bible do I read? <clears throat> Which book of the Bible do I begin uh, when I want to disciple or be discipled? I would suggest start in Genesis. 
buy a good commentary and begin with the Gospel of Mark or John, or what you can do is you can go back to our previous sermons and listen to those. Because that in itself is a somewhat good commentary, I would say. So start there. And we've done Galatians. We've done John. We've done Malachi. We've done Esther. We've done Job. Go over those sermons and be taught there. And then when you do that, pass on that knowledge to someone else. You might say, well, I don't, I don't know much of the Bible. In fact, I don't know anything about the Bible. But friends, if you know the gospel, then you know something about the Bible. And then go from there. If you know the gospel, then you know the sin and the fall of Adam. That's in Genesis, Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And then you can, then you can, then if you know about the gospel, then you know about the redemptive work of Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. Then go there. But don't think just because you don't know the Bible well enough that you can't begin to disciple. And don't let that be an excuse for you not to disciple at all. If you are discipling someone currently, and this is for you who are discipling currently and are being discipled, I will suggest, ask each other what book of the Bible they're, they're currently reading. And then ask in-depth questions about the book and what they're getting out of it. You know, when someone, asks, when someone tells you, well, I'm going through the book of Job or whatever, don't just say, that's good, brother. But ask questions on what they're getting out of it. No, what is what is the the what what is the um, the background of the book of Job? But just ask questions about it. The point is this: the word must be central in our relationship. Despite all of the other hobbies that we might have in common with one another, the primary foundation of our relationship is God's word. Is God's word? Teach how to understand God's word, and the better they understand the word of God they will understand the implications of God's word. The better they understand the word of God, the better they will understand how God's word relates to marriage and current events. The better they'll be able to deal with tragedy and the better they'll be able to understand Christ and his redemptive work. But if, Christ, if God's word is not central in our discipleship, then we are building the foundation of our discipleship on sand rather than solid rock. So teach the word, brothers and sisters, not for personal praise or glory, not for the goal of getting behind a pulpit, but to know who your God is so that you may trust and love and worship him even more. But don't just stop there. Study the word of God with the intention to someday teach that to someone else. Whether that be your young child or whether that be someone in the local church, okay? You don't have to be behind this pulpit to teach the Word of God, okay? We all have a duty, and, and we all have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that helps us illumine the Scriptures for us and explain the Scriptures. We all have that. Now, let's look at our second point, which is model the Word. Model the Word. So since we know that one of the primary aims of discipleship is to teach the Word of God. What, we, what, what happens is we might fall into danger, into thinking that that's all discipling is. And I'm not advocating that that's all discipling is. I'm not saying that discipleship is you just teaching the Word and that's it. 
That's not what we are called to do when we are to disciple. One of the primary aims of discipleship is teaching, but also it's living it out. We are called to teach the word, but we're also called to live the word. We teach the word and we also model the word. We don't want to help people just understand better, but we also want to help people live better. Helping others follow, following Christ includes both teaching and modeling. If we just only teach the word, if you say discipleship is all I do is teach the word, then what you are doing is you're not making disciples, but what you're doing is you're just making students. You're not helping people follow Christ, but what you're doing is you're just helping them get head knowledge. You need to teach them how to live out what they are learning. It does no good to just to teach the word without instructing and modeling how we must live in light of the word. The teaching of the word of God should work for their transformation. So let's get, so again, let's ask, did Jesus and Paul live by this discipleship principle? Did, did Jesus and Paul teach the word but also live it out as well? Indeed, they did. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. In verse 12, Jesus says this to his disciples. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus exhorts his disciples to love others the same way he's been loving them. Jesus modeled how one is to love and commands his disciples to love the same way he has. Jesus taught what love is. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no, has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So Jesus, in verse 13, teaches what the highest form of what love is. Okay? He teaches his disciples what the true meaning of love is, what the greatest of all love is, that someone laid down his life for his friends. But did Jesus model that? Did Jesus model that type of love? Of course. What we see at the rest of the life of Christ is he goes to the cross and he dies for his friends. He lays down his life for his sheep. So Jesus teaches how, what the, the greatest of all love is, that someone laid down his life for his friends, and then he models that on the cross. Jesus taught, and he lived out what he taught. Now, how does the world truly know that we are disciples of Christ? By what we teach being backed up by how we live. Christ tells his disciples in John thirteen thirty five. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you, love, if you have love for one another. Friends, when we disciple, we need to practice everything we preach. We need to set the example of what a life looks like when you are following Christ. Parents, you are right now setting the example to your young children 
of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. The way wives, the way you interact with your husbands and the husbands, the way you interact with your wives, your children are seeing that. And they and they and you are modeling to them what a true Christian marriage is to look like. What a man of God is to look like. What a woman of God is to look like. That's what you are currently doing if you have children. We need to set the example of what a life looks like when you are following Christ. You can teach wonderful doctrine and know the ins and outs of Scripture, but if your life doesn't reflect the God whom you teach about, then people will not want to follow you. People will not want to be discipled by you. You must, in your discipleship, always be on guard because the person whom you're discipling or maybe you're not discipling is watching you. They are learning from your bad and good habits. Your life must not contradict scripture. And if you are not living out what you are teaching, then that's essentially what you are doing. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. Our own confession states in the first chapter of the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. The Holy Scriptures, the function of the Scripture, is to help us learn more about God, but also how to live in light of that knowledge. That is how we make disciples. We teach and we model. Now let's look at how Paul made disciples. Acts chapter 20, verses 18 to 21, it says, And when they came to him, Paul, he said to them, Hear this, you yourselves know how I lived among you. And the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with all tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God, of faith, and in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, when Paul carried out his disciple-making task, he did so by first words, teaching, and by conduct, modeling. He spent time with people and modeled everything he taught. For Paul, disciple-making included both teaching believers and being radically consistent, uh, consistently associated with them, teaching them, but also being present with them. Again, he says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first, ta- from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. You know that my life backed up what I was preaching. You were witness to it how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and hear this, and teaching to you in public and from house to house. Paul didn't make disciples by text or email. He didn't make disciples by calling every once in a while. Or he didn't make disciples when they gathered together 
you know, on a, on a, on a weekly basis. Paul shared life with them. Paul shared life with the people he was teaching. He had face-to-face interaction with them. The point is this. Discipleship, how we are to model, is to be, is to be uh, through physical interaction. <laughs> Amen, somebody. Through physical interaction. That's how we are to disciple people. That's how Paul did it. That's how Christ did it. Teaching is, uh, texting is great. Uh, emailing is good. Phone conversations can be wonderful. Yet nothing beats face-to-face interaction. Nothing beats that. Some of, some of the, uh, what are some of the ways we can do that? Some of the ways you can do that are, are simple. When you are going to the store, maybe you've got to go to Target or Walmart. Why don't you call up the person whom you are discipling or who you want to disciple? Why don't you call them? And, and, and say, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to go pick up some milk and some eggs. you want to go with me to Walmart or Target? And just walk through the aisles with them. It sounds weird, but why not? Another way is when you, when you have to go run some errands, maybe you've got to go to the post office or whatever, why don't you invite that person to go along with you? Invite that person over when you are preparing dinner. Teach them how to make a steak. You know? And in, in, in doing that, ask them spiritual questions. Ask them what they're learning in the Word. Teach them what you are learning in the Word. Invite them to, uh, when you want to go to the gym or when you want to go take a walk. Invite them over to do that. But the point is, try to include the person who you are discipling or when you're wanting to be discipled by into the regular rhythm of your life. And if, mind you, if you want to be discipled by someone, then you, it's, it's your duty to always make the first move. Always take the first steps. You can't tell someone, well, I want to be discipled by you, and expect them to text you. You you have to take the initiative. People people are not going to chase after you, even though we we want them to. When we invite people into the regular rhythm of of our lives... What happens is we are modeling what it means to be a Christian. Let people see how you interact with other people. You know, one of the blessings that I have is working with pastor, and I see how he interacts with people. And I learn from that. Many of you, I see how you interact with people, and I learn from that. Let them see how you interact to slow traffic or to an unexpected trial that may arise. You know, you get a bad phone call. You know, and the person that you are trying to disciple is sitting right there. And you're trying not to be crazy or give attitude or anything like that. But let them see that. Let them have a first-hand glimpse of how you are living out what you are teaching. And, you, and by you doing that, you are modeling to them what it means to live as a Christian. Philippians chapter 4, 8 and 9, Paul again exhorting the people of faith to practice what he taught them. Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. Think about the word. What you have learned and received and heard and see in me. And hear what Paul says here. Practice these things. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Did you notice how Paul mentions teaching and conduct? 
teaching the word and modeling the word. He reminds them of the words they have learned. And in the same breath, he exhorts them to live it out, to live by them. The point is this, both teaching and modeling are and were necessary ingredients of disciple making for Paul and for Jesus Christ. And they are for us. Paul would not attempt, Paul would not attempt to make a disciple apart from teaching the truth of the gospel and the scriptures. Nor would he attempt to make disciples apart from living his life as an example before those disciples. So if you want to make a disciple, if you want to get into or if you want to make a disciple, don't think that you can do that apart from teaching the word, but also living it out. So in your disciple making, share life with people, share life with people. And when you do that, when you invite people over or when you're going out to eat with them or having coffee or whatever, this is the number one rule. Be transparent with them. Be honest. Be open with with them. Yes, you are to be an example, but don't be fake about it. Don't be walking around quoting scripture everywhere you go. Or when someone tells you, how you doing? You say, I'm doing God. And more importantly, don't be afraid. And hear this. This is very important. Don't be afraid to make mistakes in front of them. Don't be afraid to make mistakes in front of the person whom you're discipling. Okay? If a cuss word slips out... (laughs) Or if you lose your patience during traffic or in the grocery line because there's a million people in line and there's only two registers open. Let those be moments. Let let that be a time when you can teach them your errors and your faults. I remember one time when I was uh, with Brother Joe and I was going uh, into Kern Schools and I went away that I wasn't supposed to go. Traffic was going this way. I went this way. And uh, I remember my car... Uh, one car was coming out, and I was coming in, and we had a, sort of a standoff. I wasn't going to move. He wasn't going to move. And um, me, being uh, being the little punk that I was, I said, what? What do you want to do? You want to do something? I opened my door, shut it, opened my door, trying to scare him or whatever. Thank God the guy moved away. And then uh, we we parked, and I said, brother, before we get out, I have to apologize. That That was wrong of me. That's not how I should be acting as a Christian. And that's not how I want you to be acting as a Christian. Do you accept my apology, brother? Oh, it happens all the time. But, you know, that's not the answer that I want. I want him to sincerely, I want him to really know my errors and my faults. Invite others to learn from your mistakes. Invite others to learn from your mistakes. But also, don't be the one who thinks you have all the answers, okay? Don't be the one who thinks that you have all the answers and you are the only person that they can go to. You're the the person whom you are discipling and teaching the word, okay? As Mark Dever says, you don't want to become the fourth member of the Trinity. You you don't want to become that. And, And also, you don't want to be stingy with the person because other people have gifts. Other people have know the word. You know, there's, there's, there's uh, many times, Brother Oscar, he came up to me the other day, uh, last time, whenever, and he asked me a question. I said, you know what? Go talk to Pastor Antonio. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. But, but, but 
don't think that you are Mr. Know-it-all. And, and mind you, even if you know the answer to the question, sometimes it's good to just say, you know what, let me hook you up with this brother. That might have been the first time you guys ever talked. I don't know. But th- little things like that, okay? Little things like that. Um, it's okay to say, let me get back to you on that. Or, you know what, I don't know enough on that. I can give you the best guess. Uh, pastor always uh, it kills me with questions. And I always tell him, I'll give you my best attempt. Here it goes. You know, you don't know if you're going to make it if you don't shoot. So that's, that's, what, that's what I mean. Um, but also, too, allow yourself to be teachable. Allow yourself to be teachable, okay? And, and that's, really, really, that's really, really big in discipling and sharing life with, some, with someone. Because, guys, you two are going down the same path. You two both are pilgrims and sojourners in this dark world. And all, and, and, and all of us are headed toward the same destination. Okay? Allow yourself to be teachable. Allow yourself to be teachable. No matter who you disciple, or who you want, uh, no matter who you disciple, you want people to, to, to better follow Christ by growing in the knowledge of God, and by learning to put that knowledge into practice. You want people to understand the word of God better, but also to live better. You can't have one without the other. And that's the point of this whole thing, is teach the word and accompany that by living the word as well. In closing, friends, teaching the word and modeling, you guys are looking at me like, man... That sounds, that sounds like a lot. It, it sounds like a heavy duty. You're telling me that I have to study. You're telling me that I have to know the gospel pretty well. You're telling me that I have to invest in people's lives. I've got to invite them over when I'm making dinner. Yes. But that's discipleship one-on-one. It's costly. Discipleship is costly. It, it costs us time. It costs us constant prayer. It costs us study time. Or, or, um, study time. It requires you to live a life that's somewhat uncomfortable. A spontaneous life. You know? It forces you not to have to go to bed at 8 o'clock. It forces you not to be home at 9 because you have to have your cookies and milk. Your your life becomes unbalanced because man, you, I, I might be with Brother Patrick till eleven at night one night, and then and then the next night I might be with Brother Bobby until twelve. But that's the cost, and it's worth it. It's it's so worth it. It's worth the endless nights of study. It's worth the time you invest to see someone grow and mature in Christ surpasses any. Sp- earthly joys we can experience any earthly joys so brothers and sisters my exhortation to you is to disciple others by teaching the word and in doing so model and show others how to live in light of the word tell them follow me insofar as i follow christ and if i'm not doing anything that you see that is christ-like then check me on it Discipleship includes instruction in the words of Jesus, but it must not stop there. It must not stop there. 
We must spend time with people, sharing our lives with them, if we intend to make disciples as Jesus commanded and as Paul did and as he modeled. Yes, there is time for Bible study, but there also must be time for Bible living. And that's the aim of making disciples. Teach the word and modeling the word. I want to end with what Mark Dever says in this book. He says, really, the how of discipling is not that complicated. And that wasn't rocket science, right? I could have just said, hey, teach the word, model the word, let's go home. But I had to prove it biblically. But hear this. It's about doing life together with other people as, all, as you all journey toward Christ. We make friends and then walk them in a Christ-word direction. You want, we want to understand God and his ways and live as the Bible calls us to. We want to be accurate in our understanding and holy in our living. We want to be accurate in our understanding and holy in our living. We want to know the truth and to live it well. All to the glory of God in those image were made. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here by your grace. Thank you for another time in your word. I pray that that was some encouragement for your people. Help us, Lord, in our disciple making. Help us, Lord, be more transparent. Help us, Lord, know your word so that we may live it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.